five, four, three, two, one. Beers and Banter, episode 47. Tonight, we have the current head coach for the Burley Bears, Rick Stone. Rick, you've coached at the uh, highest levels, and we're looking forward to some great insights. Thanks for having me, Matt. Look forward to it. Let's rip in. As always, we're really appreciative of the support from the guys at Gripstar Socks. Gripstar Any Slip Socks feature panels that create traction that improves speed, acceleration, and stability. Gripstar Socks are designed to deliver maximum comfort and flexibility, featuring a breathable mesh design that removes sweat and reduces odours. Perfect for high-movement sports, working on your feet, or lounging safely at home. Seriously grippy. Thanks for joining us, Rick. No problem, mate. Thanks for having us. So we've got to thank uh, the guys at UAA, uh, major sponsors of the Burley Bears this year. Yep. Been sponsors for a long time. Uh, that they're experts in the insurance for heavy plant industry. Is that's, that right? That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Grains, Actual. earth movement equipment, anything like that. Been associated with the Bears for up to ten years or about ten years now. That's right. Uh, great supporters of rugby league and uh, also uh, new supporting sponsors, Play Up, uh, who provide a great betting app. So the Bears are fortunate and happy to get the support from organisations such as Play Up, who are genuine fans of rugby league. That's for sure. Greg Ritchie's involved with Play Up, the fat cat. Well, yeah. I, look, I look forward to hearing more about that. So thanks to those two great companies and um, yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Uh, now, always formality at the start of the show is it, it is beers and banter. We, we, we crack a stubby. Uh, I'm going to have a can tonight. This one's the Send It Down Huey. So I think this is sending back a bit of a uh, few few dollars to the uh, to the Aussie farmers. So I saw that at uh, the bottle shop today and Gave it a crack, but you said lager to me over the phone, so I thought I'd grab a couple of different lagers. Any lagers, fine, mate. Look at the old Forex Gold, the Queensland Classic. So, what did you think? I didn't get to see a lot of footy over the weekend. Shout out to the uh, to the North Burley Nippers that have uh, taken home the state championship over the weekend. But uh, I was on the beach most of the weekend, so I missed the footy. But well, what, a fair margin, I think, too. They, North they, Bur- Burley Nippers. They didn't win. They shit it in. The, it was a it was a great result for the for the kids. Uh, I don't know if that's appropriate, but they, they flogged them. They, they, it's a, been a 10-year plan down there for the coaches and and uh, came to fruition on the weekend and a lot of hard-working kids, a lot of hard-working uh, parents in the background to get them on the beach. So Always is. I have my young blokes actually at Mowbray Park, but now young fellas, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just down the road, so good rivalry there with the two Burley clubs, the two of the best in Queensland. So, uh, But, yeah, what, what caught your eye out of the footy over the weekend? Oh, look, um, probably the new rules, I suppose, you know, and the, and the speed of the game, you know. I read a little article from Peter Sterling. He was a little bit concerned about, you know, the speed of the game and, and how the fabric of the game needs to be 50% attack, 50% D, and he was yep. a bit worried that that fabric might have been disturbed a little bit where the attack had too much of an advantage. So well, hopefully the officials can keep an eye on that because I, I believe in what he's saying there. We don't want to turn it into a a Super League game where the game is that fast that they just roll down the other end of the field and the attacking team always has the advantage. We need to be able to reward a quality defensive side as well. So I think everyone, particularly in the NRL, they've had a few goes over it. Obviously in 2020, Queensland Cup boys are just about to sort of get the implementation of those new rules um, this weekend. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. There was thoughts that it would take the big guys out of the game too, but... The Warriors sort of proved on the weekend that there's still a place for the big boys in the middle. 
Look, there's always a place for all shapes and sizes in our game, and hopefully that c- can continue. Um, you know, they really controlled the ball well, the Warriors. They didn't do anything flash, but they rolled down the field consistently, used their big men effectively, and um, got to their kick and put a bit of pressure on the on the Gold Coast team and come up with some, you know, I wouldn't call them soft tries because they were on the back of plenty of um, possession, but um, tries close to the line. Oh, something, I'll, before we get into a few other things, something I thought about over the weekend is... The toughest part from the outside looking in of your job, is it managing those guys that drop back from the top level? Is it, is it, is it the positional change or is it managing the personalities when they come back? Oh, look, I think most of the boys when they come back these days have got a fairly good attitude. They understand the process and understand that if they're not playing, you know, they train and prepare to play. So, you know, it's no good sitting on the sideline and not doing anything. You can't push your barrel from there. So... I suppose if you've got to come back into a, a second-tier team, um, you know, the Burley Bears is as good as place as any. And my young bloke, Sam, he's likely to be in that situation this week. Didn't get picked in the 21 last week, unlikely this week. And he goes, well, I think of it of the best of the of the worst, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not happy to be playing in the Queensland Cup, but if I am, you know, it's a good place to be. And I know I'm in a good environment, good culture, good lads, and hopefully a competitive team. What about that conversation with the bloke you've got to talk to that you know he's been busting his ass for the Bears week in, week out, and then you've got to tap him on the shoulder and say, hey, look, the Titans are sending one of the boys back and they've got your spot this week? Yeah, look, that is a hard one. Absolutely. That's probably the toughest part of all. It's easier to sort of promote blokes and say, yeah, you're in the team. It's harder to sort of tap blokes on the shoulder and say, no, you're not in the team. And Particularly that, if it's not their fault. No, exactly. It, it mightn't be through form. It might be just the, the position that they're sending back. And, you know, that's going to happen at some stage throughout the year. Um, we understand that. The boys understand that. But it still doesn't make that conversation any easier. But you like to to manage that situation as honestly and, I suppose, with as much integrity as you can. So you mentioned it just before, uh, guys want to be training and playing footy. How hard was it? You've you've arrived back on the coast in November 2019, I think, roughly. That's about right. Um, you got, is it one game of footy in, in well, the season? Yeah, one game, your first round of the Queensland Cup last year. Correct. And they called it. So you've got a 100% win record since you returned to the Bears, but... How hard was it sitting on the sidelines last year? Oh, look, I, I suppose you make the best of the worst situation. Um, you know, there's a lot worse people around the place, you know, in COVID than, than myself and our particular club. So, you know, the club shut for a couple of months, which hurt, you know, yeah. hurt us financially, definitely. Um, you know, the job keeper was a saviour for a lot of small businesses in Australia, not just Queensland, of course, and that was definitely a big part of helping us sort of get back. Um, it gave me a chance to probably have a look at some of our younger players playing in the local A-grade competition. So we got A-grade competition up and going for our under-20s and our reserve grade and our, um, our local A-grade, which made the grand final. They got beat by Runaway Bay. Um, and, and our girls, our, our female sort of team was successful too. So I did a bit of a coaching coordinator's role there and floated around and tried to do something with the younger players and probably take stock and see where their evolution's going to be in, into 2021. Yeah, okay. And it's one of the biggest senior programs around, isn't it, really, the amount of teams that Burley fields on a, on a weekly basis? Oh, absolutely. You know, it's probably the biggest senior club in Queensland. You know, we're, we're currently hosting nine teams, you know, yeah. two girls' teams and an under-16s and under-18s and under-21s, a local under-20s, a reserve grade, an A grade, a Queensland Cup, you know, um, an open women's team and an open, sorry, under-19s women's team. So nine teams, not a lot of room, um, a bit of juggling and a bit of organisation, but some good quality people right across the board. There's probably 
70 staff, coaching staff and managers that are across those nine teams. So, wow. yeah, there's, there's plenty of people and plenty of organisation to do, but Damien Driscoll and the boys at the Bears have been doing it for a while. And, you know, the charter when I was at the Bears previously was always to promote and continue to um, strive forward in rugby league. And, you know, they're definitely still doing that. Yeah, that's great. Uh can we can we wind the clock back now? Take us back. What? Where did your rugby league journey start, and how did you get into the game? Yeah, well, um, my parents were teachers, and they moved around the state in New South Wales a bit teaching. You know, they started off at Inverell, where some of my elder sisters were born, and we we went to a little place called Wentworth, which is sort of, I suppose, northwest of Mildura, way down where the Murray River joins the Darling down in in the south. I suppose, west corner of New South Wales. Yep. And, yeah, born there. So spent a couple of years there. Went to a little town called Finlay, which is not far away from Aubrey, down on the Murray River, down in the Riverina. Probably, you know, grew up when I was a little kid, real little kid playing Aussie Rules. Didn't know what rugby league was, to be honest. When yep. you were down there, you never hear about rugby league. It's all Australian Rules football. But my dad was from Newcastle originally. And yeah, okay. he planned to sort of move back where there's some better schooling, better universities and things like that. So... We come back to Newcastle, I suppose, when I was about eight. And, um, yeah, we sort of settled out on the lake, which is about probably uh, 30 minutes south of Newcastle. Really good place to grow up, you know, right on the lake and the beach was close and we had a park out the front. So we had a yeah, terrific upbringing. Joined a little club called the Valentine Devils and um, they're probably near, near Belmont, I suppose, um, which is, like I said, half an hour south. And there's been some famous players. A good mate of mine, Chief Harrigan, sort of played out of there. Adam Muir played out of there. Josh Perry, Dar Daniel Abraham, Brett Kamali, his brother. There was plenty of good knights who come through this partic yep. particular junior club, the Valentine Devils. And I suppose that's where I started when I was about 10 years old. Started playing footy 10 and, you know, sort of, um, yeah, fell in love with the game and understood, you know, my dad, you know, it was a fairly big soccer town at the time too, uh, Newcastle. But my dad sort of said, oh, I think you boys would be better suited to the rugby league. We're a bit more rough and tumble. There was me and my two brothers. So we went down the local footy um, ground and joined up and, you know, went from there. We we loved it. And, you know, we lived down that oval a fair bit when we were young fellas, as you do, you know, when yep. your dad's involved in committees and things like that. And spent plenty of Saturday, Saturday afternoons kicking a footy around and just having fun with the rest of the kids. And then... Um, probably continued on to play some senior grade footy at Lakes United, which is a, it's the, um, uh, I suppose the, the district club in the area, and and was lucky enough to sort of go through into that area. Played in successful sort of 16s, 18s teams that, you know, were a really strong sort of competition pre the Newcastle Knights days in in Newcastle, and um, yeah, played a bit of first grade. Ended up playing for New South Wales Country when I was young. Uh, I was 19, played for New South Wales Country seconds in a. In a, in a game at Newcastle versus City, the old City versus yep. Country days. Yeah, that was probably 1986. That's how long ago I was. I was, I was 19 and played in the centres and Andrew Farrow sort of was playing with me and a few other sort of senior blokes were playing in the team at that particular time. So, um, yeah, then wasn't so much long longer that uh, Johnny King, the famous St George winger, sort of had a bit of influence with me. He coached me in an under-19 Newcastle team and sort of got me sort of to... Me and my brother went down to Sydney to trial with South Sydney just before the Knights come in, actually. It would have been around the 1986 or 87 87, somewhere? yeah, 87. Um, what was that? The grand final. Um, I think Raiders played maybe Manly. Manly? Yeah, Raiders played Manly in 80, 
87. And they used to, South Sydney traditionally held a, an invited trial on the day before the grand final at Redfern. So that was on the Saturday and the grand final was on the Sunday. Me and yep. my brother went down. Um, yeah, played in the trial. They were sort of happy with what they saw and they they signed us on the spot. And we were, my dad was a bit, you know, wasn't quite sure because the Knights were about to come in and, and play in 1988 as well. But we said, oh, well, we're going to get a bit of a crack here. So we decided to make a bit of a move. And that's where we started. We st went down and played um, under-21s with South for a couple of years. I was probably 21 at the time by the time we got there in 1988. A couple of years later, my brother sort of captained the South under-21 side to win a comp in 1989. But I stayed there for a few years at South Sydney. Played a few first-grade games off the bench. Didn't do anything starry. I probably was just a bit, you know, a bit small and a bit uh, little to sort of play first grade in the position that I was playing. I, I played a bit of lock and five-eighth and hooker and second row and different positions like that. But um, I was always interested in the coach and we had, you know, some good coaches obviously at South Sydney. George Piggins was the head coach at South Sydney uh, yep. at, at the time and when, I, when I was there. And um, he was he was a terrific man manager, George, and he, he, he didn't quite get enough raps for how he managed it because in 1989, South Sydney won the minor premiership in first grade in the, in the, the old New South Wales Rugby League. Uh, they got beat in two semi-finals, went out the back door, but it was a really successful year for South in, in first grade and had blokes like Tugger Coleman who was running the show. Phil Blake was great. You know, in that era for South, he was a he was a hero of mine when he used to play at Manly when I was a kid. So I, I really sort of enjoyed sort of doing a bit of work with Blake. He was a really professional sort of player. Murray Fennick, Les Davidson, David Boyle, they had a, a you know, pretty good side and a really um, hardcore sort of pack of forwards that would take it to most clubs. How old did you, did you were you in first grade, debut? Oh, probably 22, I reckon, 21, 22. Uh, it would have been the first year out of 21, so it would have been 22, I reckon. So so what are your thoughts on, obviously, big news this week with Joseph Suwali um, being granted a release to play before he turns 18? I was I was happy when they brought that rule in because, you know, there's that, many, there's that much talent out there. I don't know if we need to rush kids into the game. You know, when I, I always compare back to America and I think, well, by the time you get out of college and really make it in the NFL, you're probably in that 21, 22 range, aren't you? And you've got a, you've got something else behind you where you throw a kid in the deep end at 17 and spit him out the other side, it's not necessarily going to be great. But you, having been there, might have a different opinion on, on, the, on the kids coming through. Um, look, I'm with you. Absolutely, I'm with you. You know, I've seen some young boys play. Um, you know, I, I was talking to Jordan Rankin too, the youngest Titan to yeah, ever play. That, he's, yeah, he he always comes to mind when yeah, this debate well, comes Yeah, I, I coached Jordan over in England when I went to Huddersfield. And yeah. Yeah, he, he, um, he was a really good fellow and good mates with him and stay in touch with him. And I noticed recently in the press he come out and said, I'd like to think that they keep that under 18, the 18 age group. You know, you look at, I suppose, blokes like Adam Ritson, you look at Brad Fittler, you look at Greg Alexander, boys in the past, you know, some real freak sort of footy players that come through as 18 or even 17-year-olds. Um, you know, I'm just trying to think of one, you know, really recently. Well, the, the, the one that I could sort of tip recently um, was when I was at Newcastle working with Wayne Bennett and we had Sione Mataltia. Yep. He was a young kid, um, a young kid who was 17. He hadn't turned 18 yet and... He was playing in the NYC. And the year before, I said to Wayne, I said, uh, remember Carmichael Hunt come and played 
first grade when he was 17 at yeah. fullback at the Broncos. I said to the coach, I said, w- when did you think Carmichael Hunt was ready? He said, well, Stoney, I threw him into a pre-season and they're tough pre-seasons with Wayne and see how he could sort of manage it. And if he'd come through the other side managing it both physically and mentally, I thought he was a chance of playing first grade. Yeah. And I said, well, we might have one here in Newcastle, mate, which was Sione Metaltia. Um, so he throws him into the pre-season. Sione handles it pretty well. Um, the league did have the rule that he wasn't allowed to play till he was 18. He turned 18 and went on to play for Australia at the end of that year as an 18-year-old, scoring, yeah. scoring plenty of tries. So it was a good example. And, you know, I think 18 is 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 young enough to be yeah. Yeah, making your first grade debut. Because um, it, it, it is a tough place. In, in the NRL, in the inner sanctum of it, it is a physical, tough environment. And... I'm not saying 18-year-olds can't do it because no doubt there is some 18-year-olds that can do it. But um, I, I'd like to think we'd like to protect them a little bit and there's plenty of time and place for them to do it after they're 18. So I don't, yep. I don't think – look, there may be some circumstances around why the Roosters want to see this kid play and, you know, they might have a couple of injury issues that they might think they need to make a bit of an adjustment there. But, um, yeah, I, I'd like to see the league stick to their guns there and – and be pretty hard and fast and say, no, I don't think we need to sort of change that rule. And, you know, I think over time it'll it'll hold them in good stead if they stuck to their guns. Yeah. Just uh, straighten that mic up if you can. It's probably a bit dodgy. Yeah, mate. Um, so we're in, you're in Newcastle. Oh, you're in you're in South Sydney, your first grade. How, how do you end up um, how do you end up in the sporting capital of Australia, of the Gold Coast, sort of in the 90s, like late 90s coaching? Yeah, well, I played a couple of seasons in South Sydney, probably, you know, 21s and then a couple of years of reserve grade. And, um, um, yeah, I probably thought that, you know, maybe coaching might be more my go. And at that point in time, I was still relatively young. So I thought maybe a captain coach role might be right. Anyway, I end up having a few friends from – Sydney that I'd met and played with that were from Nambucca Heads and they were looking oh, yeah. for yeah so I end up going up and playing at Nambucca Heads I was just a non-player sort of come up and played with a few mates that went back from Sydney and it was a bit different you know I didn't know exactly where I was going to go with my footy but I probably just wanted a bit of a sea change I suppose and get out of the city a little bit it's a bit hectic so I went to Nambucca Heads and I suppose I was 24 then and I reckon I was 25 when I took my first captain coaching role in Nambucca. Yep. Yeah, and we sort of won. We had a pretty good little team and we won back-to-back competitions in the Group 2 competition, which is around Coffs Harbour, you know, down as far as Kempsey and probably north as far as Bulgooga, just north of Coffs Harbour. And, you know, it was a good quality. A strong footy yeah, area. Yeah, it's pretty strong footy area. Probably all country areas have struggled a little bit now. Um, there's not enough kids coming through and kids are going away to uni and going away to work. So there's not as many younger people staying in the staying in the bush to play. But at that particular stage, you're still a pretty um, decent competition. You get ex sort of Sydney players jumping in and Hopefully, taking, taking captain coach roles around the place. It'd be good to see that revived a little bit. There's, there's data that says suggests that millennials are moving away from the cities now. So yeah. the data over the last four, pre-COVID even, the data since about 2016 is that millennials are getting out of the city. Uh, the more flexible that work gets, and all, it'll be great to see some of those country areas. Hopefully that it revitalises the clubs as well if, if people are having that. 
Yeah, yeah look, change. there's probably not quite as much money as there used to be. You know, back in the days, way back in the 50s and 60s, you had first graders that played for Australia that went back and captain coach Wagga and Lismore and big country towns yeah. like Tamworth, you know, those sort of places, even Coffs Harbour. You know, the landscape's changed a little bit now, but oh, I was probably lucky enough to cut my teeth in coaching as a captain coach and I was still healthy enough to play, of course, and, and young enough because I was about 24, 25, I reckon, when I kept the coach down Bucker. Is that money thing because there's there's so much top-level football available to consumers that, you know, once upon a time you'd get, what, one one or two games on the weekend on the telly, and if you wanted to watch more footy, you had to go to your local park to see it. Is is that Could that be a reason that's detracted from the from the regional areas or, you know, is people, people consume – you can watch seven games just in NRL or – what is it, eight games of NRL every weekend? Yeah, no, you're probably right there. You know, I think back in the day, you know, you look back even the days when, you know, back in the Sydney competitions when the match of the day was on at the career ground at three o'clock on yeah. Sunday. When I was at South Sydney, actually, I was, I was lucky enough to work with some South Sydney legends. John O'Neill was one, Gary Stevens was another, and they had a, a little posse of ex-South Sydney greats that sort of worked in subsidiary companies all over the place. So I was in a bit of royalty when I was sort of in Sydney working with the late, great John O'Neill who played with South and, and, and Manly. Uh, won plenty of competitions with both clubs. So, um, yeah, I sort of, back in those days, they'd tell me the story how they'd play cards at three o'clock on a Friday night at the Cauliflower Hotel down in, you know, um, Zetland before they were playing three o'clock at the <laughs> cricket ground, you know, 12 hours later sort no of thing. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they had some great old yarns and, you know, the boys from Manly and boys from South and the boys from West and Tigers, they all sort of knocked around and, you know, had had some good times. Even St George Legends had some good times with each other. But getting back to where I finished, uh, a couple of years at Nambucca, won a couple of competitions, got a little bit of... I suppose, credibility along the way. And my brother and a few of his mates moved from Newcastle up to Burley to play at the Bears, you know. At the time, the Bears weren't going great. And I, I sort of see my alignment with the Bears as an opportune time that Pokies just come into Queensland as well. Oh, yeah. So I, I got here in Queensland in October 1993 and the Bears had just set up like a little part-time sort of club and they've just, you know, they threw basically volunteer labour, had to build their little clubhouse. They'd got 10 pokies in, made a massive business decision to get 10 pokies in. Yep. And a little pool table and Lummy's restaurant used to be at the end of the club there. And that, that's that's where it started for me. And I always say to people, my, my timing was probably as important as anything because I was lucky enough to come in and watch the club grow with a little bit of the poker machine revenue along the way for, for Queensland clubs that I'm pretty sure was only... 93 or 92 pokies are in Queensland, yeah. Yeah, yeah righto. So do you, did you play at Burley before you yeah, coached? Yeah. No, yeah. no, I was player coach for a couple of years there. Uh, we won uh, the second year I was there, 1995. We we beat South Tweed in the local grand final in Group 18. We got beat in 1996 by South Tweed again. And then in 1997, we went into the Queensland Cup. So I was still player coach at that particular time in the yeah. Queensland Cup in our initial season. Um Pretty quickly, I realised I don't think I could do both, both coach and play, and kept as a captain coach as I was used to doing. So, I was probably about, you know, getting closer to thirty at the time, and decided to step away from the playing component and concentrate more on the coaching. And probably that's when, um, you know, I thought 
maybe I can make a bit of a career out of this. And, um, you know, because you got to have a passion. you got to you got to really love rugby league to do the coaching thing because you've got to do so much at it. And I always say to young players, you know, do you really love the game? Because all the practice that you need to do, doesn't really matter if you're surfing or you're a golfer or a cricketer. You've got to really love your sport because you've got to understand there's going to be about at least 10,000 hours plus that you need to put into it to be very good at it. And there's a lot of training and a lot of practice that goes into making you very good at your your chosen sport. That's uh, 10,000 hours. Is it Craig Johnson, is it, the the footy pl- the soccer player that's probably down from down yeah. Newcastle Yeah, way. he is. He's from the other he, side of the lake of me, yep. He talks about 10,000 touches. Yep. So 10,000 hours, 10,000 touches. He'd... Yeah, there's, there's a lot of, I suppose, literature around 10,000 hours of practice to be good at anything and... Um, yeah, and you always say, you know, you've got to have, first of all, you've got to have a love for the game. When we're always recruiting kids, I suppose, at, at the nights, we're always the first question, you know, do you really love the game? Because, you know, sometimes as you do it, as as much as you do it as a professional, it becomes a bit sterile and becomes a bit of a chore and a bit of a job. Yeah. But the, I always found the blokes, and Andrew Johns was a good example. I didn't have a lot to do with Andrew Johns, but I was with Michael Hagen for a couple of years, and we'll get to that little part of the yeah. sort of scenario shortly. But a real love for the game, you know. He, he'd be talking back in the day when the Cowboys used to play the 7.30 game on Saturday night, but it wasn't televised till 9.30 because it was delayed because there was a few games. They, they didn't have all live games like they got yeah, now. So yeah. the cows used to get the 9.30 slot on Saturday night. And Joey say, Stoney, did you see that little move that was going on? I'm thinking, Joey, I was in bed by then. It was probably about 10.30, <laughs> quarter to 11 by then. Yeah. But Joey was still up watching the game. And his passion for the game probably shone out more, more than anything. You know, his love for the game and his real interest in the game and, and wanting, to, wanting to see the game. Uh, probably evolve and and now he obviously enjoys watching younger players sort of evolve in the game and take the game to different heights as he did back when he was playing. So my earliest memory of you is that, you know, standing on the hill, I'm having a steak sandwich and I look across and there's a bloke standing on the roof of the old clubhouse. And it was was like, wow, this coach, you know, were you one of the first guys to try and sort of get it from a different angle at, at that local level? You know, most most coaches are still standing down on the sideline, but uh, I, I remember you're always standing up on top of the roof or up on the clubhouse. Or eventually, I think they got some scaffold up there or something for you. But yeah, they did. That's true, and it probably probably come from a little bit of a, a higher level. You know, um, a lot of the coaches back in the day used to sit up high in the grandstand at the top level. Probably didn't happen, like you said, as much as at local level, mainly. I don't know, maybe we couldn't afford walkie-talkies or what the story was. <laughs> but, yeah, we, we used to get up on the roof and try and get a, a little bit of a vantage point. You're, you're right, they did build a scaffold in front of the club there where the camera used to sort of sit and we used to sit above it or below it. But, um, yeah, it was – mate, we, we had some really good times at Burley. We had a really good committee. You know, Laurie Orr was the president when I come and he's still the president now. That's that's 25 years on. Yeah. So – um, he, he was a, a great supporter of mine. Ian Amos was a club manager and he just recently retired. He, he was a, a stable figure and we had a pretty, excuse me, we had a pretty um, stable sort of playing roster at the time. So we got into the Queensland Cup level in oh, 1997. I was a player coach then and within two years we'd won the comp in 2019. You know, so 99. Sorry, sorry, 1999. That's yep. correct. Yeah, that was 2020. Over 20 years ago now. So that was a big year. You know, we won both the, the local competition, Gold Coast Group 18. Um, we beat Seagulls in that and we beat Redcliffe in a 
cliffhanger of a Queensland Cup. I think it might have been 12-10 in the grand final. And we actually got a chance to play Great Britain. I don't know if you remember that, but later in that year, there was a Four Nations I think so, yeah, yeah. going on and, and Great Britain come to town and they were looking for a warm-up game before they were to play Australia. So well, I remember Brett McConnelly was only little. He, play, he was in our under-19s at the time and he played in the game. Um, so we played a few kids out of our 19s, a few kids out of our reserve grade, some boys out of our A grade and some boys out of our Queensland Cup team. And it was two weeks after the Queensland Cup grand final. So we had a week to celebrate, and then we come back to training and, and yeah, got it, got into it. And, you know, I think we might have got beat not by much, 16-14 by Great Britain. So that was a, a really good day watching Pizzy Park, one of the big days at Pizzy Park, yeah. like, like um, I suppose uh, Anzac Day has been recently with a with a um, PNG Hunters. Yeah, it was one of those really fond memories of, of pulling off a really – big day and, and seeing plenty of people get in there and, and produce a decent sort of game of footy. And then, again, win again in 2004, is that right? Yeah, look, we had a pretty stable team between 1999 and probably 2005. I don't think we finished anything less than fourth. We were pretty consistent yeah. and we were challenging most of the year. We played in grand finals in 93, 94, 95. Losing 93 to Redcliffe at Redcliffe. Losing 2005 to Young Guns, it would have been, yeah, at Suncorp Stadium. And then we beat East in, a, in an epic extra time game that went 19 minutes of extra time. So that was a real Queensland Cup classic grand final. So I think it finished at 16 all. And, you know, we played another sort of 17 or so minutes of extra time yeah. to sort of get a result. So that was, that was one that, you know, I suppose... We were a pretty solid team back then. We didn't have any um, NRL affiliates at the time, but we always had a, a good quality sort of team and we were always competitive. And it, it's very similar to I've come back now, sort of 20 years later, and the same ingredients and the same culture are still there, which is great. You know, Luke Page, some of the senior players there hold everyone accountable for their standards and they're still very, very, um, uh, I suppose, protective of the quality that they want to bring, you know, um, the Bears team each week. So that's, yep. that's pretty important. So from there, did you go straight from the Bears to the Knights then? I did, yeah. Uh, 2005 was... You my... must have had an affiliation with the Knights at some... Or you've always been connected to the Knights. I remember when we were juniors, we'd get a few Knights players up for like summer camps and stuff like that. It was was that through your connection or was that something else in the club? No, no, definitely mine. Yeah. yeah. Sort of good mate of mine, Chief, obviously. He came up a couple of times for me and a few other sort of decent Knights players come up and we used to run some clinics for our junior yeah. sort of players, definitely. And we got Brad Fittler and Sean Garlick from the Roosters there one year and a few other boys from, um, um, I think, Gillawarra at one stage. But, yeah, overall... Yeah, because I was from Newcastle and always had a bit of a connection with some of the blokes. And actually, Paul Harrigan was on the on the board at the Knights at, at the time when I come back and yeah, okay. um, yeah, um, got appointed assistant coach with Michael Hagen for the two thousand and six season. So that was my first go in the NRL. I'd yeah, I'd sort of probably spent ten years in the Queensland Cup, had a really good record, and you know was voted sort of the coach of the decade in the first ten years of the Queensland Cup. So I thought. You know, if I'm ever going to have a crack, I might as well sort of go down and have a bit of a go. And and look, it sent me on another different journey for another 10 years at Newcastle, which was, yeah, really interesting. I, I got down there um, 06, had a really good team. Joey was still, you know, bringing an extra 5,000 people through the gate and playing yep. on Friday night. And when he was on, he was 
nearly unstoppable. Uh, Bedsy was still playing there and Steve Simpson and they still had a real quality football team and I think we finished fourth in the competition proper, got beat. Now we beat Manly in the first round and then we probably got beat by Brisbane um, down at the Sydney Football Stadium the next round and, you know, Michael Hagan finished and Brian Smith come in. And, yep. and, mate, I was lucky to work with Michael Hagan, I suppose Brian Smith and then Wayne Bennett. So I had three really good mentors as far as coaches were concerned in my, uh, I suppose, learning years in the NRL. Um, Brian Smith was great. He was a, a really influential component of my career and probably opened up a new way of looking at, at the game. And he spent sort of three years at Newcastle and sometimes he got probably unfairly um, scrutinised a little bit for how he sort of managed things but um, he, he is a good coach at setting up a club from top to the bottom from under 16s right through to the NRL and you know Newcastle was a good town for him because the pathways in Newcastle were strong there was a lot of kids playing footy and you know he could set up a club which could streamline and accelerate kids from you know young young men through to NRL first grade and Newcastle had always done their best work 97 and 2001 premierships when that had a great component of local juniors in, junior yeah, base. Yeah, in the team and he could see that and you know he didn't quite get the results he wanted you know and over you know we had some indifferent years but at the end of probably 2009 we were you know, we, we were sitting all right. We were sitting in the top eight and things were starting to sort of go the wrong way for certain reasons. And anyway, they end up getting rid of Brian Smith and, you know, they weren't going to bring a coach in. So as a senior assistant, I got a, a chance to sort of coach the first grade side for the end of 2009. Yep. Mm -hmm. And probably last three games and then into the semifinals, we ended up playing Bulldogs, I think, in the first semifinal. We finished eighth and they might have been, I don't know, if it, they were... Um, if it was a format that is now, no, actually we finished seventh, so we played probably the the, the sixth. Yeah, probably oh, no, the third, third the yeah, third place yeah. team, which are Bulldogs. No, a bit strong for us on the day, but it was a really a whirlwind sort of couple of weeks for me. Probably going from an assistant coach, we played Melbourne in my first um, competition game, and we got out to a great start and sort of rolled Melbourne. We had a good record against Melbourne at Newcastle, but we never had a such a great record down in Melbourne like most teams wouldn't. But yeah. anyway, yeah, it was a good start. We had a win on a Monday night, I think, uh, against Melbourne. And then we won a, another couple of games. And then we were straight into the semifinals against the Bulldogs and got rolled in that one. But stayed on for another couple of years and as head coach in 2010 and 2011. Probably didn't go as great as we would have liked in 2000 and, um 2010, but made the semi-finals and again met Melbourne in a first versus eighth sort of semi-final, I think it was in 2000 and would have been 2012. And that was the time when Nathan Tinkler was looking to buy the club. And I was going to say, what what point did he come in there? Yeah, he sort of come in around that 2012, um, around that 2012 year. And, and look, Nathan probably got, again, um, you know, probably criticised in certain ways for certain things. But look, we had a really good chairman, a solid bloke, Queensland country bloke, Robbie Chew was his name. Uh, he was a land evaluator and he made sure that Nathan and his company weren't going to sell the Knights down the river. So he put a pretty strong contract in place. And, yep. um, you know, in, in the end... You, you had a front row seat for one of the biggest rugby league sagas at the time. It was, well, it was, it was in the news every day, just about. It was, like. yeah. Nathan was trying to get some, you know, some, some support, and um, Robbie was pretty staunch that he said, you know, 
I'm, I'm not going to have Nathan come in and get out and, and leave the club in a bit of a disarray. So it was a members club. It wasn't wasn't a private ownership club at the time. And mm. so the members had to vote on it. And Nathan sort of, yeah, he, he, he was pretty bullish in what he was trying to do. He was trying to – and he, he eventually bought the Jets and the Knights at the same time. And don't get me wrong, he spent plenty of money on both identities and trying to help out, for sure he did. Um, you know, and for whatever reason – Things didn't didn't work out as great as he would have thought. He was always really good to me, Tink. You mm-hmm. know, he's a straight shooter. He's a pretty honest fella. Um, I didn't have any real dramas with him. He was ambitious and he wanted to obviously sort of grow big. So he brings Wayne Bennett in. And, you know, Wayne Bennett's the best coach in the game at the time. So I thought, well, I'm happy to sort of sit around and, and learn a little bit from Wayne Bennett. My kids were pretty... I suppose, pretty settled um, at school and, you know, weren't that keen to move. Had a few opportunities to move and maybe be an assistant at at other clubs. And um, I thought, no, we'll sit tight here and see what sort of unfolds. And, yeah, we had some good years with Wayne, you know. In particular, the second year Wayne was there, I think they went uh, a game shy of the grand final, got beat by the Roosters, I think, at the footy stadium. Um, Maybe 13 Roosters probably went on to win the grand final that year. But... Um, yeah, no, it was a great learning curve for me to learn off one, one of the, the best coaches and probably have a little bit of a diversity with Michael Hagen originally, who was a great tactician, a good coach in his own right. Brian Smith, you know, terrific sort of coach as, as well. And Wayne Bennett, a little bit different to those boys, but a really good man manager and a person who knew the rugby league animal really well. So, yeah, it really helped round off, um, I suppose... My education, you know, I've been, co- yep. I've been coaching for a fair while now. You know, it's probably, you know, nearly nearly twenty years worth <laughs> worth of coaching. So I'd had a, a fair apprenticeship, but just to to work with those three boys at at the end of that particular apprenticeship just put a bit of polish and gave me a little bit of realization. Yeah, I think I could sort of manage this. So I think when Wayne left in two thousand fifteen, I got to go. Um, started off the season really well. Probably won our first four or five games, and we, you know, we we got plenty of injuries and we got banged up a bit and things didn't go well and next thing you know you're out the door and yeah. that, that happens in footy unfortunately um there's, it seems like there's not a lot of patience it, it seems too easy to sack the coach as a, because you can't sack any players well you can sack some but you can't sack them all can you yeah. you know so it's it's it is and in the end the, the coach sort of wears a brunt and sometimes it's not always um not always the coach is the only play person who should take the brunt, but unfortunately that's the that's the system and that's how it works. So yeah, I, I, I was yeah I was devastated obviously at the time and really hurt and embarrassed and thinking I, I don't know where I was going to go from there. So I sort of stayed low for a bit. After that, I did a bit of coaching, um, um, bit a bit of coaching just with my young fellas' teams and just yeah. yeah just went back and tried to sort of get a little bit of fun. Sometimes, you know, when you get churned up and spat out in the NRL system, yeah, it leaves a bit of a sour taste in your mouth. So I sort of took a bit of time and then went back and just coached some kids footy and just for the fun of it again and, and really enjoyed that and, and got a chance to go to England, you know, probably uh, probably less than 12 months later. Yeah, it might have been June or July the following year. Yep. You know, we got probably March around August that year and probably spent – you know, not quite a year, probably six to eight months. Um, yeah, just doing a little bit of junior footy and doing some work locally. You know, I'm a chippy by trade. And when I was up here, I sort of worked a bit for Sunland and done some oh, yeah. high, high rise building and some yep. um, 
some structural foreman sort of work. And Q1 would have been going up back then, was it? Yeah, well, I wasn't on Q1. I was actually on Circle on Cavill, which was another big Sunland job, mm-hmm. you know, just opposite Melbourne's there and spent, yep. spent a few years on that big job. One was a 70-story um, tower. One was a 50-story tower. But, yeah, that, that was interesting. So I generally sort of kept my hand in as a – as a builder and as a chippy most of the way through. Sometimes I was working full-time, sometimes I wasn't, but went that back and did a bit of work when I finished at the nights and then went to England, which really enjoyed that experience too. I was over there for three years and, you know, I, I got a couple of kids and, you know, obviously my eldest is Ben and Sam. Those two young blokes started playing at the Bears when they were young fellas. Yeah. Back in the day, they used to be wrestling out on the field most of the time, you know, when I was doing the coaching and, um, they, they were probably getting close to being at year 12 at the time. So I spent most of the time in England on my own, just um, just coaching. And, yep. um, and and to be honest, I'd still be there if, if our team was healthy enough. You know, again, we sort of didn't quite have as much depth as some of the other teams. And, you know, as, as they do in England, they can move you on pretty quick as well. But had three, three really good years there, some real good people. They love their footy over there. There's a little pockets of rugby league, obviously, in the north of England that um, – yeah, just really, they're really passionate about the game and, you know, there's not a massive amount of, um, I suppose, exposure for rugby league in England, but in certain parts it, it is still, yeah, still fanatical. You know, you go to Castleford, for instance, you know, on you know their home grounds called the Jungle and it is a bit of a jungle <laughs> when they get out there. They, they love their footy and it's a really intimidating place to play, even though it's probably 100 years old and fallen down in a lot of areas, but it is a... A really, um, yeah, a real rugby league tragic good place to go and play footy. So you, you've got to move around a bit. You've you've been you've coached international teams. Uh, you've coached women's teams. Uh, you're now back at the Bears. You land land sort of like I think we said before November 2019. Last year, obviously 2020 year to write off. What can we look forward to this year out of the Bears? What what you know what what's exciting you this year? They're essentially defending their title this year, aren't they? Well, they are in a, in a way, but it's been two years on, so I'd like to think everyone's nearly starting from scratch again. Um, you know, we had a few players that did a little bit of footy last year, but not too many. So most of the Queensland Cup boys had the year off. So How come it wasn't just like everybody just compresses down? Um, well, it's a little bit to do with what we pay them too, mate. You know, yep. we, we, look, they get paid okay in Queensland Cup level, not great, A grade level. They don't get a heap sort of thing, you know. So the boys decided, and we we looked at it as we could field a young A grade side, and mm-hmm. and you know you don't want to drop down a Queensland Cup side that's then going to decimate the local competition. That's the last thing we want to do. But we wanted to use that as that learning experience for our young players and. I suppose tests the water with some of them for the first time in senior footy. Yep. As it was, Runaway Bay, um, yeah, they, they brought a few of the Queensland Cup boys from South Logan and Guy Hamilton, who eventually we recruited after they beat us in the grand final, he'd been playing at South Logan and come down to play halfback at Runaway Bay. And we were obviously looking for a halfback, seeing so um, Jamal Fogarty obviously rise to the Titans and, and where he is is a terrific story for Jamal and you know such a wonderful young man he is. Um, so yeah, we yeah we we used it like that. In in the end, um, yeah, we've started training probably middle of November and just ticked away yep. with the boys. Didn't try to kill them early. We we spent probably probably six weeks before Christmas just ticking them over and getting them ready. And you know they're they're going through a trial period where we had to go at the Titans and yeah we ended up beating them. I think thirty four, thirty six. It was a close yeah. old game and 
we got a, a little introduction to the new rule there. We went, we rested a few and went to East, and we had a close win there, maybe eighteen sixteen win there, and then we had another close win against Seagulls two weeks ago. So we've we've had a couple of solid trials without without putting our best footy in front of us, and I think we're all learning a little bit about each other. The, the probably a year that I didn't coach, I'll, I'll, I still learn a little bit about the boys, and they're a little bit more comfortable with me now, and I'm a little bit more comfortable with them, and I know the characteristics of the the crew a little bit better so yeah we're in a pretty good place and we're you know like all of us in the Queensland Cup I suppose we're looking forward to a competition to start and keep going and yeah. see if we can get a winner at the end. Is there a name that we may not know now that we'll definitely know at the end of this year? Oh look I hope so yeah I hope so um in the in the, in the Queensland Cup team you know we've I've recruited a couple of young outside backs that's one thing that we probably needed a little bit of um, a young bloke who's a good friend of my young fellas, Corey Dennis, is a young player from Newcastle, played a few NRL games with the Knights, spent some time at South Sydney, had a few injuries and didn't really um, see too much footy there, but I've coaxed him to come up and play. He spent the off-season working with the Titans. Yep. And a, and a, a boy from Canberra who's a they're, they're big athletic fellas, ones, they're both six foot four, plays centres, wing. And um, Andre Nickow is his name. He's from Canberra, spent some full-time training in Ricky Stewart's sort of team down there at the Raiders and only started playing footy as a pretty late date. He was a like a, a volleyball player, tall, athletic sort of kid, yep. you know, Islander kid who's got some real ability. And, um, yeah, he'll, he'll be a little bit of a, a work in progress, but they're two blokes to sort of have a look at that'll be new faces for the Bears. And I think... You know, we're going to put a little bit of, um, not so much pressure, but there's there's a little bit of um, expectation on Guy Hamilton, who who spent some time at South, nearly played 100 um, ISC Queensland Cup games yep. with South and the Sunny Coast, and he's, he's down to replace sort of Jamal Fogarty at halfback. So, yeah, okay. yeah they're, they're, they're probably three boys that um, people may not know. Um, you know, we, we're probably likely to get my young bloke, Sam, possibly... Tanner Boyd and Jonas yep. Jonas Pearson now yep. out of the Titans probably at some stage possibly may even be this week we, we probably won't know our team a heap till um, I suppose the Titans play on Friday night and see what that little injury scenario is yeah okay um, I'd like to finish on three three big questions for every guest we've got a yep. uh, bit of a rapid fire first thing that comes to your head uh, you ready for them yeah mate far away righto favourite place in the world for a beer Oh, favourite place in the world for beer. I reckon on the Coral Coast of Fiji. Yeah, that's I'll not s- bad. I spent a bit of time at Fiji. That's not a bad gig, yeah. coaching over there. Yeah, I, I, I coached Fiji to the semi-finals in 2013 World Cup yep. uh, in England. And I spent probably two years preparing that particular team and spending a bit of time in Fiji. So I know what a... Um, I'm just trying to think of what the, what it is in Fiji, what a Fiji lager is like on the Coral Coast when you're sitting back <laughs> just as the sun's setting. It's a nice spot. Fiji bitter. Yeah, that'd be it. Uh, your favourite athlete of all time? Um, probably Steve Waugh. Yeah, Steve Waugh. The cricketer. Yeah. yeah, I'm a mad cricket fan, mad golf fan. I'm a golf tragic, actually. But um, I probably just his um, tenacity and his desire and his will to win and um, the way – you know, he, he generally got runs when his team needed him to get runs. Yep. And um, didn't always get runs when the team didn't need. But if you needed someone to bat for your life, you're happy to have Steve Wood bat him. for you. Yeah, for sure. Righto. Last one. Any four people from history over for a beer and some barbecue? 
Who's coming and what are you cooking? Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Probably, probably a couple of golfers, to be honest. Yeah. I'm a mad golf fan, so I'd probably take Jason Day and Adam Scott. You know, they're two sort of good Aussie blokes that I think represent Australia really well. Yeah. And, um, you know, not just as golfers, but as people as well. I think Adam Scott listens to the pod, so hopefully we might uh, might be able to arrange that. Yeah, hopefully Scotty's listening. Uh, good luck this week, Scotty, if you're listening. Um, yeah, so they're, they're two blokes that I watch from afar and I haven't met them at all. I haven't even got close to meeting them. I, I was lucky enough to go to the... Um, the Open Championships when I was in England. Really loved it. Yep. Yeah, yeah. sort of followed some big-name players around there and, um, yeah, really, really enjoyed that scenario. It was a really eye-opener. Probably, and I've been to a lot of sporting events, but probably my favourite sporting event that I've ever been to, you know, from, you know, going to NFL footy, going to Premier League soccer, going to AFL Grand Finals, NRL Grand Finals, yep. State of Origins and big cricket matches. Um, yeah, the Open Golf was... Something I really, really enjoyed. Two more names. Two more names. Yeah, well, I'll probably bring Tug of War along. Why wouldn't you? You know, if he's my favourite athlete of all time, you know, probably Steve War would sort of get a get a, get a a start there. And um, you know what? I've just recently met the fat cat, Greg Ritchie. I reckon I'll bring him along because he's a, he's a funny bugger and he'd, he'd keep everyone laughing. I've been to a couple of sports luncheons where he's pretty funny, so that would be a good afternoon on the beers. I reckon we'd put some prawns on the barbie as well. Yeah, you know, a couple of decent steaks, maybe a few rissoles. I'm a I'm a Aussie rissole sort of fan as well, with some snags and a couple of cold lagers to wash it down with. I'm sure everyone would be happy with that. Sounds like a pretty good afternoon to me. Uh, I've got a couple of things for you. Yep. Uh, I got I got uh, pick a set of Grip Star socks. The boys at Grip Star really support us. Uh, it's improving athlete performance. The boys love them because their boots, uh, their foot doesn't slip around in the boot. No, they definitely use those in England. Yeah, massively. Yes. So yeah. you're seeing them more and more here in Australia. I've got a uh, beers and men snapback, and uh, I've got a six pack of beer here for you somewhere. So um, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, really appreciate the Bears sending you along, and uh, any more of the guys that you want to send over, please do. But uh, other than that, uh, good luck in 2021. I hope, hope the Bears have another great season. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, mate.